Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this passage of Scripture, and we acknowledge and recognize your power. We would ask, Father, that uh, you would open our hearts and minds to learn from this passage the things that you have for us, that we might find satisfaction of soul in you. In thy name we ask it. Amen. A couple of years ago when we lived in Kansas, uh, Joanne and I were running an errand which, uh, in which we had to get to Yoder, which was about 50 miles away, and we didn't have time to stop for filling the gas tank. We were in a hurry to pick up seed for one of our farmers. Now we were in Joanne's car and she kept telling me as I worried about running out of gas that, well, her car will tell me when to get worried. But the needle was already on the big E, and I was already getting worried because I didn't know the roads where we were, and I also knew who would do the walking to a gas station if we did run out of gas. She said, well, just punch that button, and it'll tell you how many miles we can go yet. So I punched the button, and it said 41. So she said, plenty of miles. We did our errand and then went to supper at the very excellent Carriage House Amish restaurant in Yoder. And when we got back in the car, I said, well, what's the closest way to a gas station? We went up on a highway that had a sign to Hutchison, and I didn't know if it was two miles or 20 miles to Hutch at this point. And I was really starting to sweat because I punched the button and it didn't give me any miles. It just said low. <laughs> I thought I already knew that. Unfortunately, we came to a gas station I was able to fill up without any long walks with a gas can. Now, there are times in our lives when we kind of get signals like that gas gauge. They tell us we need to make a stop and get replenished. And if we don't, we just may get so exhausted we can't go anymore. But the refreshment that our soul and spirit needs is not as accurately measured as gas tank in a car. Here's an example of the kind of thing I'm talking about. Gary and Brenda were really looking forward to the couple's retreat being planned by the young couple's Sunday school class. They'd not been able to take a vacation this year because of starting new jobs, not having enough vacation time coming to them, and the new baby, which had been ill, had added pressure to their days and nights, and Gary knew that Brenda had not had a good night's sleep in weeks. In addition, he'd been working as much overtime as he could get because of the bills that were piling up with the baby's illness, so when Brenda's parents called and said they would love to watch the kids for the weekend while they went to the retreat, they viewed it as an answer to prayer. And even as they had driven down to that beautiful camp setting, they had talked about the goodness of the Lord in providing this time. They planned to take some time for long walks in the woods, maybe ride horses or do some fishing, spend some time in the jacuzzi, have some personal time for a whole night's sleep without interruption. That had been the envisioned plan. Then the rain had pretty much removed the option of the horses and the long walks. <laughs> and the jacuzzi was being repaired. And the event planners had meals and meetings scheduled so uh, much that the sleeping in seemed to be a non-option. And then there was the mentoring program. They had been asked to be mentors for a newly married couple who had to be the two most immature and needy people that God had ever created. <laughs> Joey and Muffy seemed so insecure that 
they seem to not be able to have a conversation without Gary and Brenda. To Gary, the word leech came to mind. As a matter of fact, he'd gotten in the habit of trying to protect Brenda from Muffy on the phone by tipping the phone up and going, you know, uh, with his mouth to signal her. And then if she needed to, she could run into the bathroom so she could be unavailable if she just wasn't up to talking to Muffy right then. And yet they knew that helping this young couple grow in the Lord was a part of what God wanted them to do. So when the pastor knocked on their cabin door at 2 a.m. and said that Muffy was talking about suicide and was asking for Brenda and Gary, Gary knew that his hopes of seeing his wife have a full night's sleep were out the window. Of course they would come and try to help settle her down. When people are willing to serve other people according to the Lord's direction and gifting, there will be times when you need to get rest, when you're almost out of gas, and it's just really not possible. It, it, it's like pulling into the gas station because you know you need gas only to find this gas station's closed. Have you ever had that kind of an experience? So what do you do? Well, that's what today's passage is about. There was a normal way to get rest and relaxation. The setting in which we find the disciples and the Lord is a setting that is the normal conditions for which rest and relaxation are called for. These are the normal warning lights that tell you, hey, you're running out of gas and better stop and fill up. It was a time following an extended period of social pressure. Uh, they had been on an extended preaching tour during which they were involved in spiritual warfare and social interaction and physical desert, uh, um, uh, exertion and psychological depletion. And there will be times when that occurs in ministry. There will also be times when that occurs in life. There's just too much going on and it's all your responsibility. They're life stressors. Changes in our relationships, like marriage or a new child being born or a death in the family. Changes in our work setting, like a new job, a new boss, new duties, different hours. All those things add stress. Changes in our living conditions, like a different town or house or new school. A different schedule to adjust to. Uh, a flood a fire. All these kinds of things are opportunities for Satan to seek to discourage, to deplete, and destroy the work that Jesus is doing in us. It was a time of demands that disrupted the normal flow of life. The people were coming and going at such a pace they didn't even get a chance to eat. And when the pace of your life and the demands for job, family, and ministry combine to deprive you of meal time or sleep time or devotional time or family interaction time, that's a time to think about taking a break. Taking a break. And when you have both of those things combined, it's very appropriate to take a break. The extended time of special pressure is like seeing your gas gauge on E. The disruption of the normal flow of life is like having that warning light come on as well and, and the distance indicator just read low. 
For instance, a number of years ago, I was involved in helping plan a Billy Graham Association crusade with Ralph Bell. I was very involved in the planning and carrying out of the crusade. It was a ministry project that had taken three years of active behind-the-scenes work to come to fruition. And then during the week of the crusade, I was involved daily in helping organize the accounting and follow-up data. This privilege and responsibility meant being in special prayer times with the crusade team before the workday. It meant special responsibilities before each crusade service and being a counselor director at the time of each invitation. This meant late nights every night after the meetings were over, organizing and processing the follow-up data and assigning additional follow-up assignments to participating churches. Following that crusade, I took several days at the pastor's cabin down at Timberlake Ranch Camp because it had been exhausting for me. You see, I'm not a gifted administrator, and most of what I was doing was management of data and administration of people and processes, and for me, that's tedious and tiring labor, especially when it's done under a time crunch. I needed some regular rest, and I was able to get it, and so thankful for the camp at that time. The devastation of recent floods has meant for many of you increases in stress and time demands just to do your normal schedule. Some of you have repairs to make. Others have suffered losses. At the same time, you're seeking to carry on ministering and family and ministering in the church and reaching out, planting time and field preparation and equipment preparation. That's coming quick. And that'll be a time of frenzied activity as we approach summer. And many of you will need to take normal rest when you can take the time. And others get into the middle of that frenzied planning and time and you wonder, well, will a rest time ever come? <laughs> because that's the way it is in rural communities. And we've had that complicator of that rush of water that came through here. Well, Gary and Brenda, in the opening story, were also appropriately seeking a time of rest and relaxation. They'd had extended trials and special demands that had disrupted the normal flow of life. Now, Jesus gives the invitation that shows the elements that are necessary to find the normal way to rest and relaxation. First, he says, come with me. Come with me. That is, get some spiritual rest. The path of spiritual rest will be with Jesus. In Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, he said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And then the next element is social rest. Jesus says, come with me by yourselves. Come with me by yourselves. Much of the pressure that was upon them was the constant burden of social interaction. Now, I'm a people person, and I derive energy from interaction with a crowd of people or a small group of people or even one person. But the truth is that sometimes even I get tired of that interaction. Sometimes I need some alone time. Or I need time with people with whom I can be so comfortable 
you know that I can wear the comfy pants. <laughs> you know? You know what I'm talking about. I mean, you, you, you only want the people around that you're going to be really most comfortable with. And that's what Jesus is saying. Come with me by yourselves. It's going to be just us. Just us. And the third component is a psychological rest. Jesus' invitation is to a quiet place. One technique of helping people who suffer from fear or depression or anxiety or anger is to help them create an inner quiet place that they can go to and retreat psychologically. In this place, they can mentally picture where there is peace and safety and they then can begin to share about those things that are bothering them. What Jesus is doing here is suggesting that they literally go to a place that's quiet and safe. In fact, the word in the original is a solitary place, a place to be alone and have solitude. The emotional and mental benefits of being able to have a time and place of solitude for meditation and reflection, those are well known. You can actually lower your blood pressure with being able to have some alone time. I often mention this to my wife when I want to go fishing. Um. <laughs> and then physical rest. The term just translated rest, it's used in other places in Scripture to refer to sleep or cessation from labor. It's physical rest that's being offered. It kind of means the same thing in Greek that it means in English. <laughs> We're going to rest. Make your body stop doing that which makes it tired and allow your body to recharge. The point I want to make is this. The Lord suggested and approved taking time to do this normal means of recuperating from strenuous times. And it's appropriate to work hard, but it's also appropriate to respond to great need with extraordinary times of excessive work. But then it's appropriate and God-ordained to set time apart to recharge your batteries. To find spiritual, social, psychological, physical rest. And there are probably some people in here that maybe need to know that. You know, if you ever rest, you start to feel guilty. Well, I ought to be doing something. You know? No. Jesus prescribed and approved. There are times when you need to rest Get some rest. Take some solitude. Get away from the press of it all. And Jesus invited his disciples to have such a time. So in response to Jesus' invitation and recognition of the needs of his disciples, they got into a boat. They started out to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. They made a plan for normal methods of rest. And we soon discover that their plan is going to be foiled. The gas station is going to be closed. Uh... If they are going to get rest and relaxation, it's not going to be through the normal means. And though they have a plan for just the 12 of them and Jesus to be alone in a solitary place, they soon discover that the crowd has other ideas. The time when you're going to have to call upon the Lord for extraordinary rest and relaxation is when due to circumstances beyond your control, your reasonable plan for rest and relaxation, well, it, it can't happen. And it's, it's beyond your control. In other words, we're not talking about 
presuming upon God to sustain you because you have such a need for the approval of men that you seek it by working beyond your body's health. And you feed upon the admiration of others for your dedication and sacrifice. That's called being a workaholic. I'm also not talking about your inability to set reasonable boundaries with people because of your mistaken notion that you can never say no or your inflated idea of yourself that you personally are the answer to every needy person's problem. I had to battle that one once in a while. I'm also not talking about our inability to get rest because we've gone out of the will of God and committed ourselves to things that we never should have been committed to. Sometimes that can involve money commitments because of a desire for things that have run up your credit card debt to the extent that you're having to work two jobs to keep up with the payments. And lack of rest may be God's consequence for your rebellion of not being content in him. According to Isaiah 57, 17 through 21, greed is a sin of rebellion against God that results in a lack of peace and no ability to rest. It's God's consequence upon the greedy who will not find contentment in him. This brings us to a place of discerning how to find rest and relaxation when it looks like we can't find it in the ordinary way. How can we keep going if the gas station is closed? So here are the principles for extraordinary rest and relaxation. First, there's a guidance evaluation that we have to take. You have to ask yourself a certain question when you find yourself in these circumstances beyond your control. The question is this, how did I get in this place? How did I get in this place? And what you hope the answer is, is I got in this place by following God's direction. You see, did I get to this place by being obedient to Jesus? Or did I get to this place by being disobedient to Jesus? And if the answer is yes, then you can look to Jesus to supply extraordinary rest. That's a pattern from Scripture. Moses found it. Elijah found it. Jonah found it. The Apostle Paul found it. God provided in extraordinary ways to supply for their rest needs at a time when they were depleted, yet not at the goal. And if the answer is no, then likely you have some confession and repentance to do before you can expect to find rest from the Lord. Then there is the compassion principle. And this may involve attitude adjustment. Now, one of the big obstacles to the disciples' rest was the presence of all these people. And it would be easy for them to be resentful of these persistent people. But resentment does not provide rest. Anger does not provide rest. Anxiety does not provide rest. And allowing yourself to go into those kinds of attitudes when you're tired and yet having demands, that's not going to be beneficial to your need. The reality of their situation was this. Even though they had tried to escape the people, the crowds were there. If they rejected these people, they would not be able to rest because that kind of treatment of people is contrary to the Lord's heart. But if they try to accommodate these people, they also will not be able to rest. And the crowds seem to have no consideration whatsoever of their needs. 
Moses had faced a similar situation. The best hope of rest would be to find an attitude adjustment so at least they would not be resentful. They need to listen to the Lord's viewpoint. The Lord had compassion on these people. Jesus cared about the confusion and lostness of this crowd of people. He sees them as sheep without a shepherd. Notice what they had done. Without so much as a forethought, this crowd had gotten caught up in the excitement of racing to see Jesus' boat to the place where it would come, uh, where it would come ashore. They'd run around the lake to see him. They weren't really thinking about why they wanted to see him. This was not the crowd of disabled people who needed healing because these were able-bodied people, uh, able-bodied enough to run to get there. But they didn't really have a purpose for coming other than to see Jesus out of celebrity and curiosity. So they get there and Jesus and the disciples come ashore and they're just kind of milling around. They don't really have a sense of purpose or direction. But the Lord loved them in spite of the fact that they were silly. His viewpoint isn't these are silly silly and foolish people for such a stunt. It was that they were without direction, without purpose, without meaning in life. You see, there's one sense in which if we saw people running around a lake just to see a celebrity leaving their jobs half done, taking off without packing a lunch, we might cynically respond, hey, get a life. You know? Jesus also would respond to them to get a life, but it would have a totally different meaning. When the shepherd leads the sheep, they have direction and organization and purpose. And Jesus was the shepherd ready to lead the sheep. And when our plans for rest are interrupted by people who are foolish and sheep-like, we need to be under-shepherds with compassion toward them, following Christ's example. Our adjustment is from one of seeing them as foolish for their excited seeking to one of seeing them as needy. For their excited seeking. We need not to see them as an interruption, but as a reason for ministry, not a problem, but a purpose. We can also share Christ as the shepherd of their souls if they will receive him and his counsel. Then there's the instruction principle. This is perspective adjustment. Jesus responded to the crowd by teaching them many things. One of our reactions uh, to not getting expected rest should be to see this time as a time to learn from Jesus. And we can learn from him by example and by his word. The instruction of example is to observe the Lord. Remember Jesus' invitation in Matthew to rest? What does he say? He says, learn of me. Learn of me. Jesus will teach us the path of righteousness by his example many times even without speaking. And when you come into a place of needing rest and you can't get it, begin to look for where Jesus is working and follow him there. I experienced this many years ago when I was pastoring in Norfolk. It was the year before we as a church made a commitment to the Evangelical Free Church to help launch a church planting movement in Poland 
with short-term teams. And the year before we first went to Poland, we had just completed the building expansion on the church. We'd raised the budget by 60%. We'd added about 50 people in attendance all within the span of a year. And many of those people had come by way of another church in town that had had a split, and the Lord had sent them to us for healing and restoration. I'd been working particularly hard for an extended period of time, dealing with all the extras from that period of accelerated ministry fruitfulness. And I approached the board that year with a proposal for a sabbatical because I was exhausted. But God was not working in the sabbatical. And my board recognized it. Where God was working was in our mission's vision. And instead of sabbatical, God called me along with other members of that first year's team to go to Poland. And part of what the Lord was going to teach me by doing that was that he was sufficient to meet my needs for re-energizing without the conventional means. I needed, first of all, to be obedient to working with him, and then I would find rest. And I came back from Poland refreshed for ministry. As the disciples observed the Lord teaching the people, they began to think about the lateness of the hour and the need to eat, and they devised a plan to meet everybody's need. Here's their plan. Send the people away, have them go buy food, we'll rest with the Lord. That doesn't sound like a bad plan. I mean, there wasn't anything evil about it. It would get rid of the people, it would get them some privacy and allow them some rest, which is the original plan. But that was not Jesus' plan. Jesus told them to do something else. First, he toyed with them a bit. Now, uh, in Mark, we just have him saying, you give them something to eat. And again, they could only think in conventional terms, and they started calculating how much it would cost to give this vast crowd just one meal. In, uh, in John's account of, of this, It says before Jesus told him that, he already knew what he was going to do. (laughs) He was just kind of testing them a little bit. And then he told them to have people sit down in groups and find out how much food was already there, and they complied with the word of the Lord. One of the things we must do when we are in overwhelming circumstances is to see what the Lord will say by his word. He will give direction if we will be prepared to follow it. Jesus' example and God's word are the things that help us to adjust our perspective. When Jesus told his disciples to feed them, he was giving them the incentive to scope out the size of the need. John's account of this incident tells us Jesus already knew he was going to do this. He was going to feed them. The other instructions he gave them enabled them to take an assessment of the resources available and to organize the problem. You see, when we face needs that seem too big for us, these are things we need to do. Scope out the problem, find what resources available, and organize the problem. When we came back from Poland that first time, God had given us an opportunity to scope out a problem. The nation of Poland was in great need of evangelical churches that can give a consistent witness. And we joined in a vision to launch a church planting movement in that nation. That was a God-sized goal for a small church. 
We knew that it's not something we could do in ourselves. God must do it. And in the course of the next seven years, we saw God raise up missionaries and bring about the planting of five new churches in Poland through the efforts of our church combined with those of missionaries in the National EFCA. The Victory Road EFC contributed teams for a couple of weeks, which would give the equivalent of uh, five loaves and two fish. You know, our efforts were not all that big of a resource. But God multiplied them. God multiplied them by raising up missionaries and, and uh, resources. And God is pleased to work through his people who are following him. These are really the first elements to the formula for multiplication. I've written it out kind of like an algebraic equation. R plus OB plus OR quantity times J equal S. Uh, what these letters stand for is seen in verses 38 through 42. R stands for resources. Whatever resources are currently available and at hand, God uses what we have that is dedicated to him more than what we do not have that we wish about. This principle is throughout Scripture. Philippians 4.19 says, And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. God used Moses' staff. He used the widow's cup of oil. He used the few of Gideon's army. He told the Corinthian Christians to give from what they had, not from what they did not have. And so it is with us. We give from what we have of people and talents and money, and God will take it and multiply it. We saw that happen in Poland through the church in Norfolk. More recently, Joanne and I saw it happen in Marquette, Kansas, as we ministered there and saw God bring many people to faith in Christ through a church that had been told to close their doors by their previous denomination. And we're seeing God work through the Stanton Evangelical Free Church to multiply ministry through the dedication of your resources to the Lord. OB stands for obedience. The disciples may not have understood what Jesus was having them do. They may not have thought he was going to multiply loaves and fish. They may not have even thought, this is a little bit crazy. But they obeyed when Jesus told them to find resources, have the people sit down in groups. They knew the truth of what the Lord had told to King Saul to obey is better than sacrifice. OR stands for organization. Jesus organized the groups of people. Two different words are used there to describe that. One is symposium. That's a group designed to sit at a party. The other word is a word that refers to garden beds. And so we have these people spread out over the hillside in little parties of 50 or 100 each, likely sitting in U-shaped little clusters so it looked a little bit like garden bread beds spread all over the hillside. And that would facilitate the distribution of the loaves and fish by the disciples. You see, God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. And those things, resources and obedience and organization, need to be put all together and given to Jesus for his purposes. The J stands for Jesus. All those things are multiplied by Jesus. Not just the resources, but the fruit of obedience and the efficiency of organization. All those things are multiplied. They are all together multiplied by Jesus. And when they are all added together and multiplied by Jesus, what do you get? The S stands for satisfaction. 
It says they all ate and were satisfied. When Jesus multiplies, satisfaction is the result. I've seen this work in my own life again and again. My wife and I have tried to get away for a retreat, and when we get to the camp or the motel or conference, we discover that there are needy people there who need a multiplication ministry. We've gone to pastors and wives retreat and discovered another pastor or pastor's wife that is just about ready to check out a ministry because of their discouragement. And God sent us there to talk with them. We didn't know that coming in. And we've been privileged to be God's instrument of multiplication as we're obedient to see that person not as an intrusion, but an opportunity for God to bring glory to himself. We've gone on vacations, on weekends, to family camps, or regular camps, and as we bring the resources, whatever they are, and are obedient to the Lord's example and word and bring a little organization as the Lord directs, we've seen God multiply fruitfulness through our lives. We've been refreshed by each of these times because the Lord has given us the refreshment of spirit that somehow multiplies satisfaction even into our very bodies. So that even though we didn't sleep as much as we'd hoped or get to be exclusively with each other as much as we'd hoped or had things as quiet as we had dreamed, yet we were refreshed, body, soul, and spirit, and often renewed socially as well. The last principle of ordinary Extraordinary refreshment from the Lord is what I call the closure principle. Notice how the Lord wraps things up. The first assessment is that there was satisfaction. They all ate and were satisfied. In this particular situation, the goal was to feed this group of people a meal. That means everybody needed to eat something and be satisfied with their portion, and that's what happened. Before you do a ministry activity or even plan a vacation, you should have some goals of what do you want that activity to accomplish? Now, you know what this is about here in Stanton, in the Stanton Evangelical Free Church. You recently hired an associate pastor for biblical counseling. And you had a purpose for the position. Here's what it is. To provide a service to those in our church and community who would benefit from biblical counsel. To help those in our church who are mentoring and counseling and discipling others informally with additional resources in training and encouragement or expertise that can enhance their ministries. To give specialized instruction and biblical perspective when called upon. To be available as an additional resource when crisis times hit individuals, families, or groups. To fill the pulpit in the pastor's absence. That's why I'm here this morning. Because of your planning. Your planning. We know how to do these things. And when you have goals stated or purposes expressed, it gives you the ability to measure a level of satisfaction. And one of the measures of closure is that goal assessment measure. Well, did we meet any goals? Did we accomplish? Maybe it didn't work out the way we thought it was going to work out when we planned this ministry. But did it accomplish what we were hoping it would accomplish? And then there's the counting of fruitfulness. The Lord also had the disciples account the fruitfulness. 
I believe the reason the Lord had the people counted and the baskets of morsels picked up was to attest to the size and reality of the miracle he had done. The 12 baskets proved that this was a miracle of multiplication, not a mass delusion with no actual multiplication. The grouping of the people measured the scope of the miracle. And one of the Lord's promises to us is that if we remain in him and his words remain in us, we will bear much fruit. The accounting helps us glorify God by discovering the faithfulness of his promise. And there are several ways to count the fruit that God's producing in your life. Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit. And you can go through that. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. These things God multiplies into your spirit. There's the fruit of loving deeds, according to 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. Ephesians 2.10 tells us there are good works prepared for beforehand that we should walk in them. That's fruitfulness from God that God is doing in you. And you need to be encouraged in that. Refreshed in spirit in that. God is using you. And then there's the fruit of decisions for Christ that people make in response to your influence. In fruit accounting, God is glorified. Lorraine had specified, I want a salvation message preached. And so I preached the gospel and gave an invitation. And I believe there were four that professed faith in Christ at her funeral. Four people whose eternity was changed by a decision they made then. That's God work. And the last aspect of closure is this. We have to accept the unfinished. You know, the disciples left before the crowd was dismissed. Then Jesus dismissed the crowd. And some things are left to God to finish up. That's always the way it will be in the work of serving the Lord. One of the little frustrations I often have in preaching the gospel at funerals is many times I don't know the people that respond to the gospel and I'm not going to be able to follow them up. But God is. God is. And I can accept that truth. You know, there will always be more to do and results will always have a certain sense of incompletion until we're perfected in Christ and the Lord reigns. You know, we're entering this planting season. It's a time when we're going to wrap up the school, church, and family activity, get ready for summer. And as we up our commitment level and special ministry activities, some of you are going to be volunteering at a camp. And you may come to places where the warning lights go on and tell you you're nearly out of gas. What do you do if it's not possible to take a break? If you can't take that vacation that you sorely need? Well, first of all, be sure that the Lord led you to this place. Be sure that the Lord led you to this place. Secondly, take an attitude check, check by looking at the Lord's example. Third, get a perspective check by seeing, well, where is the Lord working in my life right now? 
where is God working in my life right now? That helps me get perspective. Let the Lord multiply whatever you have in obedient and organized commitment to his desired ends. And you will find rest and satisfaction in him. Because you will see in your life fruitfulness and fulfillment of God's purpose in you. He's promised he would do it. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for sending Jesus. We thank you for this passage of Scripture that uh, gives us principles and instruction by which we can trust you at times when it's hard, when we're, we're just out of energy. And we know we need rest and we just can't, can't get away. Lord, you deal with these circumstances. You deal with these situations and you are sufficient. Help us know your sufficiency in our insufficiency. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.